Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Pastor, for being a dear friend to me, being very kind to me down through the years. Brother Calhoun has blessed us so many times in uh, our local assembly and our uh, our camp. I think Brother Calhoun's preached it three years in a row and uh, blessed us so much every single time. And uh, counted an honor to have such a uh, esteemed friend today. Numbers chapter 27 and verse number 1. Numbers chapter 27, verse number 1. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of somebody, the son of somebody else, the son of somebody else. And then it gives the names of his daughters. Verse number 2, they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sins. And had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among his family because he hath no son? Give unto us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren. And thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. Here are five young ladies that said, We do not want to miss out on our possession. And Moses goes to the Lord, and God is so impressed with the faith of these young ladies. He said, They are speaking right. I want them to have the possession that they desire. I want to apply that on down in the 21st century to our lives today. And I want to preach, teach maybe this morning on this subject. If you're going to have it, you've got to want it. If you're going to have it, you've got to want it. There are some things from God You will never really have them until you show 
desire for something from God. Hallelujah. Some things that you will never get a hold of until you have some zeal and some passion and some determination to get it. I don't know how you feel today, but I want to have the kind of determination that impresses God. It's a lot of churches today that there are people gathering in, they're complacent, they're lackadaisical, they're ho-hum, they're haphazard about everything, about serving God, and they'll never have any more than what they have today. But I want to be like Timothy where Paul said, stir up the gift. I want something in my spiritual desire today to be stirred up. I want everything that God said I could have. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. It's so good to be in your house. It's so good to feel your presence, to be able to worship you and praise you and honor you. In Jesus' name, bless us with your word. Everybody say amen. Man, you may be seated. God bless you this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'd like to say how much I have enjoyed this wonderful music, all of these songs um, this morning. And uh, everything around here is just first class. I'm preaching this morning for a few moments about a man named Zalafahad. Now, he is a Bible character that we know very little about. In fact, we are given a bit more information about his five daughters than we have about him. And in Scripture, in the Word of God here, we find that Although we don't know a lot about them, we know that their behavior, the five girls here, their behavior was exemplary before God. In fact, they were commended here in Numbers 27 for one act of courage. Did you know that one act of courage can make a hero out of somebody? And so... Uh, while the children of Israel were yet in the wilderness and the daughters of Zelophehad were traveling uh, in the congregation trying to make it from Egypt into the land of Canaan, these young ladies began making plans for the day that they would enter into the promises of God, the day that they would enter into the territory called the promised land. I'd like for us to to learn from their example today. There was a, a mentality about these young ladies, and that is they did not wait for blessings to drop into their laps. They didn't wait for good things to fall out of the sky. I think a lot of times... People just sit around and they they wait for their ship to come in, so to speak. But these young ladies, they had a strategy for owning, for procuring their own piece of Israel's possession in Canaan. They knew there would be a day that, that Israel would conquer Canaan. There would be a day they would go in 
to take that territory. There would be a day that the Israelites would be victorious and would take the promised land. And they did not want to miss out when that day came. I tell our church very often, God's going to give revival to somebody. God's going to send blessings somebody's way. God's going to send a miracle to somebody. And it may not be this service, it may not be this weekend, but Lord, when that time comes, I don't want to be missing out. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines full of doubt, full of unbelief, full of speculation, full of faithlessness. When that day comes, I want to get my piece of the territory. When the church moves into its promised land, I want to get my spot of Canaan. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. And so uh, there is something to be said for spiritual aggression. There's a lot of people uh, sit around in the church world today and they're waiting on the preacher to hit his stride. They're waiting on the sermon to get just right. They're waiting on the church to get into a season of revival. They're waiting... Um, on the evangelist to arrive in town that's got revival in a suitcase. They're waiting on God to do something spectacular before they really move. But I want to tell you this morning, the truth is that God is waiting on us to show some desire. God is waiting on us to show some passion for the things of God. Matthew 11 and 12 The Bible said from the days of John the Baptist and until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. There's some things we're going to have to take. There's some things we're going to have to lay hold on. There's some things we're going to have to have a determination for. And I want to tell you if you want something from God you have to show some effort. You've got to put some energy into it. You've got to show a spark of life about what you want from God. Serving God is what you make it. Church, uh, sometimes people say, you know, singers excite me. Uh, Preacher, preach something that really, really get me going. But let me tell you, church is as exciting as you make it. I've been in little storefront buildings, just a handful of people, not more than 10 or 12, and have a shouting, dancing, talking in tongues, wonderful time. Because it, it doesn't take a big crowd to make church. It doesn't take a spectacular music program to make good church. It doesn't take a conference preacher visiting to make good church. Church is as exciting as you decide it's going to be. You get out of the service exactly what you desire to get out of the service. You know, it's the saints that have the attitude, you're not going to turn me aside. Those are the ones that make it. Amen. Bitterness won't turn me aside. Temptation's not going to turn me aside. Disappointment. Appointment is not going to turn me aside. Gossip will not turn me aside. My family's opinions 
are not going to turn me aside. Backsliders not going to turn me aside. Loneliness. Oh, these are things we face sometimes every day. It's not going to turn me aside. My own failures and my own shortcomings are not going to turn me aside. Fear and worry and depression's not going to turn me aside. None of these things are going to turn me around. I read some time back about the boxer Jack Dempsey. Before he died, he was given an award for being the greatest boxer to come along in 50 years. He was honored as as the greatest heavyweight. And when this award was given to him, somebody was asked, why is he the greatest? Is he the hardest hitter of all the fighters? And the answer was no. Is, Is he the strongest guy had the most strength of, of the heavyweight fighters in his time? The answer was no. Did he have the best record? His win-loss record, was it the best? And the answer was no. Did he have the most wins out of all fighters? And the answer was no. And they boiled it all down in its essence to one phrase, Jack Dempsey wouldn't quit. He had what was called the fighting instinct. There's just something about him. He would get hurt and he would keep on fighting. He would get knocked down and he just had the fighting instinct. He would get back up and keep fighting. There was a time he was fighting uh, about in Spain and he got knocked down. Matter of fact, he got knocked completely out of the ring. And he came back and eventually he won the fight. And it was discovered that actually he fought the last few rounds of that fight unconscious. He came to in the dressing room. And the first thing he said when he came to was, what round did I lose in? They said, Jack, you didn't lose the fight. You won the fight. He couldn't remember what had happened the last several rounds. And all they could really explain it with was he just had a fighting instinct that it kicked in. Even when he wasn't aware of what was going on around him, he had trained so long. And he wanted that championship belt so bad, he knew how to fight on instinct. Can I tell you when it comes to spiritual warfare, we need a fighting instinct. When the devil is trying to make us quit praying, we need a fighting instinct. When the enemy is trying to steal our worship and our praise and our desire for God, we need a fighting instinct. When the enemy is trying to push us away from God and away from the church and away from the counsel of a godly pastor, we need a fighting instinct that says, I don't even know what's going on in my life right now, but I'm going to keep fighting. And if you can keep fighting, you can win, brother. You can get back on your feet in the worst of times. Amen. Let me give you just a few things. I want to leave with you this morning encourage you admonish you however the Lord would have it today this is the first statement I want you to remember today 
And that is don't allow tragedy to rob you of your inheritance. Don't, don't allow something terrible happening, something bad happening, something tragic happening, a, a, a loss of some kind, uh, a disappointment of some kind to rob you of the inheritance that God has for you. Now, these daughters of Zelophehad here in Numbers chapter number 27, they ask for an audience with Moses. Their father had passed away. Before he was able to give them their own land, before he was able to marry them off to someone who owned something or had his own possession, their father passed away. The first words that they said to Moses when they approached him were these words, Our father died in the wilderness. That defined their life at that moment. Our father died in the wilderness. That's what they told their leader Moses. But even though you, you hear me today. Even though they had lost their caretaker, even though they had lost their provider, the sorrow of their loss did not dampen their desire. The sorrow of their loss did not destroy their resolve. Some folks allow one negative event in life to steal any possibility of having any joy. Lord, it's quiet on that one. Some individuals allow one bad experience from the past to rob them of their faith. Pastor, I can't have confidence in preachers because a, a preacher done me wrong one time. Pastor, I, I, I just I have trust issues. I can't trust anybody. I, yeah, one time I, I wanted, I wanted a red wagon for my birthday, and my, my parents, they, they bought me a skateboard instead. I've never been able to get over it. You say, well, that's silly. There's a lot of things we allow. To define our lives. That's just as silly. Hallelujah. Some folks let one thing that happened to them. That they feel shouldn't have happened. And it takes away any happiness. And any peace that they could hope to have. They'll let it keep them from even trying. I tried one time and I was so disappointed. They let it cheat them out of reaching for opportunity. And they let it hold them back from becoming everything that God intended them to be. So easy for us to fall back on the same old excuses, isn't it? Oh, it's so easy to get back in the same old rut and get right back into the same old way of thinking and fall back on why we can't be and why we can't do and why we can't go on. During World War II, the, the uh, nation 
of England, they knew that there were going to be attacks from the German Air Force. And they knew that Germany was going to target the city of London for continual bombing raids. And so, um, sure enough, as World War II um, began to begin to escalate in the fall of 1940, Germany began to send bombers over London and drop explosive devices and trying to humiliate the English, demoralize the Allies, and get them to surrender. The, um, the fact is that the, the Allied military command, particularly the British uh, military, they had started planning for this air offensive as early as 1937. And they thought... And they predicted that when the bombing started, there would be mass panic in the London streets. And they predicted that there would be as many as 600,000 that would die from bombs being dropped on London. They also um, were sure there would probably be a million or more, maybe as many as 1.2 million that would be wounded in the bombing, and that between 3 and 4 million would leave the city of London for the countryside and never return. And so they they had a strategy. They set up several psychiatric hospitals uh, outside of the city, uh, hoping that this would deal with the widespread fear that would come into the minds of uh, London citizens as the bombing would start. And it ended up. The Germans, they really did. They hit the city hard. There were, there were over um, one million incendiary devices dropped on the city in World War II. Tens of thousands of high explosive bombs were brought against London. It ended up somewhere around 40,000 people were killed, far below the 600,000 predicted. And there were over... 46,000 that were injured. That's a lot, but it was far below the the million or so that were predicted. Uh, There were over 1 million buildings that were either damaged or destroyed in in Germany bombing uh, allied cities. But all the predictions were wrong about about how that people were going to panic and how that they were going to leave the city and how that there were going to be mental breakdowns uh, that were widespread. Matter of fact, the panic never came in London. The psychiatric hospitals were never used. In fact, in time, they converted them over to military bases. And surprisingly, a vast majority of Londoners stayed in the city in spite of everyday bombs being dropped. On the city. Even more surprising, there were there were few, relatively few of the survivors that emerged from the rubble really traumatized. It was it was it was unbelievable almost. Uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, when people realized that they had survived the worst thing that could ever happen to them. 
the experience gave them a new surge of confidence. When they experience walking down the street and the sirens going off, first they would run and find a shelter and they would hide. The bombs would fall, buildings would collapse, maybe two or three wounded people or maybe a corpse would be pulled out of the rubble in in short time. And, and, And it would take a little bit for them to get their equilibrium back. But after a while, when the sirens would go off, they would not break stride. They wouldn't run to find shelter because they had a new confidence that said, I survived the last attack that came against me. I think I can survive this one. I'll just keep going to market. I'll just keep working my job. As long as the building is standing, I'm going to go through my daily routine because surviving the last one has given me faith that I can survive the next one. And they would just go through it unruffled and unperturbed, believing with a new sense of faith and confidence that I can make it because I survived the worst attack that could ever come against me. When I read that, I saw a picture of the church. And I thought, I began to think of things families I pastor have gone through. I've seen families gather around the the casket of their small child and say goodbye. Walk out and come in the next service and, and walk right in. Throw up their hands and say, God, I love you. You know what that is? I survived the worst thing that I could imagine happening to me and my worship is still here. My prayer life is still here. My desire to live for God is still here. Tragedy did not rob me of my inheritance. I don't care what has happened to you. It doesn't really have to take your joy. It may make you sad for the moment. It may disappoint you right now. It may be a little valley that you walk through. But brother, you can live again. You can smile again. You can laugh again. You can worship again. You can love God again. You can be excited about life again regardless of what happens to you. Amen. You can have a surge of confidence that says the next rough patch, I can make it through that too. The next attack the enemy brings against me, I can survive that as well if I could make it through this. Praise God. Let me give you the second statement I want you to remember here today. And that is, don't let somebody else's opinion cheat you out of what God has for you. I think that's one of the main things that happen to young people is they get worried about somebody else's opinion and they quit thinking about pleasing God. They want to please somebody that's always got a snide remark or always trying to intimidate or always trying to pressure them in the wrong direction And they quit thinking about, is God pleased with me? Don't let somebody else's opinion cheat you out of what God has for you. Let me tell you, God's got the best thing you could ever desire. If you could see the blessings, young people, you hear me today. If you could see the blessings God has for you, if you'll just stay with the church. 
If you'll just keep living for God, if you'll just stay faithful, make it through those tough times, make it through those days of temptation, make it through those times when the world is pulling at your mind and your heart and your desires. If you can make it through that, I'm telling you, The blessings God has for you is so much better than the the greatest buzz you can get from drugs or drinking. The blessing that God has for you is so much better with running with whoever's cool and whoever's hip and whoever's the in crowd. It's so much better for you. Don't let somebody's opinion of, of what you ought to do with your life push you away. From the will of God. Here, popular opinion at the time, these daughters of Zelophehad came to Moses asking for their own inheritance. Popular opinion said that daughters should never expect to inherit property. It was the law, it was custom that property would only be passed down to the male heirs. That was simply accepted by society. But I am so glad that popular opinion did not dissuade these young ladies. Didn't matter what was popular. Didn't matter what was accepted by society. Even those sons were the only ones who should rightfully inherit the property of their fathers. These girls stood up and let their voices be heard. They were not intimidated. I think intimidation is something that so many in this generation face. I would worship, but I'm so intimidated. I would step out and do something for God, but I'm afraid of what somebody will say about me. I would step up and be a leader, but somebody would probably make some remarks. Oh, they're going to make some remarks. You just got to get the victory over that and make up your mind. I want what God has for me. They stood up and they were not intimidated. Can I tell you this morning that this apostolic church is a God-given heritage? Anybody can just settle for easy believism. Anybody can just go somewhere and say, well, I make my decision for Christ and and just live like the rest of the world and live like every other sinner and say, I'm a Christian. That's real easy to do. But there is a God-given heritage. This apostle's doctrine, it is a God-given heritage. This new birth message is a God-given heritage. This Acts 2.38 message, it is a God-given heritage. It's found all through this Bible. It's a God-given heritage. And I want to love it. And I want to appreciate it. And I want to value it today. I want to stand up and let my voice be heard. There's plenty of people today say, well, I don't think it takes all of that. Do you think it's a really heaven or hell issue? Let me tell you, this holiness message, the message of separation from the world, it is a glorious heritage. And I want my part of the territory. I want my part of it. I want to love it. I want to appreciate it. Hallelujah. And these young ladies, they, they stepped up and they didn't let somebody else's opinion. If, if you listen to all the religious opinions about there, that are out there, 
you'll be so confused. You know, if you listen to very many of the popular preachers today, and one thing you ought to remember, listen to anybody on the radio or the Internet and all these popular preachers that are out there, they're writing all their books. Oh, they've got to be so smart. They've got to know what's going on. Can I tell you, they're writing for the bestsellers list. They're not, they're not writing to, to get the truth out to the most people. I'm telling you, they're writing to get their name up there and sell the most books. So they want to appeal to the most people. You better stick with what the Bible has to say. They've got a lot of opinions about how so many Christians need to come together and just forget about what what the Bible says. And I would hate to be a denominal preacher today because there's so much in the Bible you've got to profess that you don't believe. Well, what about baptism? The Bible's got a lot of things to say about baptism. Well, well, that was a, you know, it's not really necessary. It's just part of joining the church and it's not something that has any bearing on your salvation. Well, what about receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues? Oh, that was for the days of the apostles. And, and they had to spend a lot of time explaining why they no longer preach what the Bible says. Well, what about holiness and, and, and holiness without which, well, I tell you what, we're going to really focus on grace here and we're not going to talk too much about holiness and the demands of Scripture. We're just going to talk about thankful for grace and, and how God loves everybody and God does love everybody. But I'm going to tell you, He loved us enough to give us this book as guidelines and as instructions for how we are to live. And I'm telling you, I made up my mind a long time ago. I may not ever be a popular preacher, but I want to preach this book just how it is. I may not ever be accepted by a large crowd, but I'm going to tell you, I want to be God's man. And I want to preach the word just as he intended me to preach it. Hallelujah. And thank God you got a preacher that's not trying to be the most popular or preach the most palatable thing to, to woo the big crowds, but will preach the truth without fear or favor. Amen. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man should fail of the grace of God. Holiness is connected with grace. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. He said, follow peace with all men and follow holiness, pursue holiness, pursue peace with people, and pursue holiness because without holiness, nobody is going to be able to see eye to eye with God. Now, can I tell you, and I don't have time to preach this today, peace is how we get along with people, right? Peace is the basis for which we get along with people. If you don't have peace between you and somebody else's, kind of hard to get along holiness is the basis for how we get along with God you say oh no it's grace it's all about grace grace is how we come to God we come boldly before the throne of grace that's approaching God by faith are we saved by, by grace are we saved through faith grace is what 
initially saves us. We bring our faith to God. God gives us His grace. Faith is what you do. Grace is what God does. That's how you come to God. That's how you establish a relationship with God. But you keep a relationship with God through holiness. Oh, that's not a popular message today. But, but those are the two things that you need. Follow peace with people. That's how you get along with people. But it's also important how you get along with God. And you get along with God on the basis of holiness. If you get got sin in your life, you can't come before God. Hey, God, we really got a relationship. Oh, no. You got to lay down every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And then run with patience. You can run the race. You can walk with God. Have an ongoing continual relationship with God only on the basis of living a clean and a holy and a separated life. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Don't let somebody else's opinion cheat you out of what God intends for you to have. Let me give you another statement here. Don't allow some other person to end up possessing what rightfully belongs to you. Don't let somebody else have and end up owning what God initially intended you to have. Zelophehad had died and here he had the promise of a possession that he was going to own in Canaan land and his possession was going to be passed down to somebody. Maybe a cousin, maybe an uncle, maybe a nephew or a nearby kinsman. Who knows who would have ended up with it had these daughters been silent. And yet these girls purposed, we're not going to let what belongs to us fall into somebody else's hands. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't love truth, there'll be somebody that will. If you don't love apostolic church with all of its worship and all of its excitement and, and, and uh, move of the Holy Ghost, there'll be somebody that, that loves it and appreciates it. If you do not value your seat in the house of God, there'll be somebody come along, sit right in that spot. I've watched it this year. I've watched it this year. People that just just get crossways, sideways, get messed up in their thinking, walk out, and within days, somebody else come right in out of the world and get rid of all their their jewelry and all of their stuff and all of the trappings of the world and come right in and sit where that person was just a few services before and the one that sat there thinking, man, I wish I could get out of here. God delivers them. God delivers that person that just came in and they shout and they dance and they rejoice and they're so grateful and they're so happy and it's the greatest thing. They already tried the world. They already know it just leaves you miserable and unhappy and they come in and they're so happy and I have watched it as a pastor over the last 18, 19 years. I'm telling you, you think, this church can't survive without me. I'm going to tell you, the whole operation would fold up if I walked out the doors. Oh, no, this is God's church. <laughs> you can walk out those doors. God will put, some, God will put an old drunk that comes in and says, Woo, thank you, Lord, for this Holy Ghost experience. 
Amen. Well, God will bring somebody that they're so happy to find the truth. It's what they've been looking for all of their lives. I want to encourage you. Don't let somebody else end up possessing what should belong to you. Amen. We had a young lady. Uh, we had a young lady pray through. In fact, her first service. Her first service was uh, your pastor preached for us our anniversary uh, service back in was it March maybe February or March somewhere back in there, and that was her first service. Her her introduction to Pentecost that night, and she didn't know what to make of all of it. She didn't know what to think, but she came back, and. And then she came back, and, and she came back, and little by little, I could see little changes that she was, she was making. Just, just small, just small changes, service by service. And one night, one night, on a Sunday night, people were rejoicing, they were shouting, the Holy Ghost was moving, and I, I saw her, she was standing there, and her eyes was closed. And I just went down there, put my hand on her head, started praying for her. And when I did, I felt so much of the power of God. I knew God is dealing with this young lady in a powerful way. And when she finally broke and began to pour out her heart, later she told me, she said, I had no idea what I got into. I I didn't understand anything about anything. I just knew it's real. And I knew it's right. And that night, she spoke in tongues for hours. After Long after I had dismissed, she's still over there, and she's wore out several sisters. They were working in shifts by this time. I mean. (laughs) But here the other day, she came by our house, and, and, and she got on Instagram, you know. She got on Instagram, and... And this one's connected to this one's connected to that one connected to this one. She said, Pastor, I want to ask you something. I, I don't understand. I don't understand people that have been raised apostolic that they're wanting to look like they're not apostolic. I don't understand why people that have been in the church, why they're wanting to let down on the standards I don't understand. This is the greatest thing I've ever found. And she's already noticing people getting colder and people drifting away from God. Oh, I don't want to let somebody else end up having what rightfully belongs to me. These girls said, we're not going to let this fall into somebody else's hands. We're going to speak up for it. We're going to leave no doubt that we mean to have it, that we want it. You know, I'm watching people today have been raised in truth, and all of a sudden they're deciding they're not sure Acts 2.38 is really meant to be preached the way we preach. They're not sure if if really holiness standards are are really serving a, a high purpose today. If we let down standards, a lot more people would come in and let's just get rid of everything that's that's keeping people from coming into the church. And you know what's happening is is they are 
no longer desiring to have what God wants us to have. But these young ladies said, we want everything that belonged to our father. And God said, I am impressed with their fortitude. I am impressed with their desire. And he said, they speak right. When they want everything that their father had, they speak right. Brothers and sisters this morning, I want to be speaking right. There's people trying to get rid of doctrine. They're not speaking right. There's people trying to get rid of apostolic church and apostolic worship. They're not speaking right. There are people trying to get rid of holiness. They're not speaking right. I want to speak right about everything that God has given me in my Holy Ghost anointed inheritance. It's amazing to me. God God said, uh, thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren and caused the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. God did not have a rebuke for them. God did not call them selfish. God did not call them terrible names. He didn't tell them, you go back, you're just girls. You, you're, you, you don't have a right to the property. So you go back, stay in your quiet little corner and uh, you were foolish for even asking. God didn't treat them that way. He said, I'm going to make a provision in my law for people just like them. That any other time there are daughters and other families that have no sons, their courage has opened the door for others in the same predicament in years to come. I don't want to be those that do not, I don't want to be among those that do not value their heritage and that are influencing others to sell out as well. Ahab came to Naboth and said, why don't, you, why don't you sell your vineyard to me? You know, it's more convenient for me to have the, your vineyard, and I'll give you a vineyard that's more convenient for you. And I'll give you a better opportunity. I'll give you a better vineyard. And Naboth, he refused to negotiate. (laughs) He said, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my father's unto thee. In other words, my heritage is not for sale. Ahab, you're not going to end up with my heritage. Jezebel is not going to end up with my heritage. My heritage is not for sale. Brothers and sisters, I love this apostolic church. Brothers and sisters, I love what God has given to me. This is all I've ever known. It's all I've ever been in. And I'm not about to change it now. I'm not looking for an easier way. I'm not looking for a better way. I'm not looking for a more convenient way. I'm in love with truth, and I'm more in love with truth today than I've ever been. It's not for sale. I don't want somebody else to have my vineyard. I don't want somebody else to get in my spot, rejoicing to find what I willingly gave away. You know, the Bible gives us the parable of the talents, and there was one servant. He had five talents. And another servant was given two talents. And then finally, the last servant, he was given only one. And at the end of the story, 
the little guy that had one little talent, the one talent he had was taken from him and it was given to the guy with the most talents. It kind of seems unfair, doesn't it? It, it, it doesn't seem like uh, doesn't seem like it's it's right. But, but I'm going to tell you why. The guy that had one talent, he didn't really appreciate what he had enough to do something productive with it. Can I say that again? He didn't appreciate what he had been given. Stop comparing yourself with others. And wonder why you didn't get everything that they got. You take what God has invested in you and do the most you can with it. Don't sit there and whine and bellyache and complain that you didn't get as many opportunities as somebody else. You just take the church you got. Amen. Take the opportunity you got. Take the service you've got. Take the family that you've got. Take the, the, the situation that you have right now and just do the best with it. That's the challenge of life. Just make the best with what you got. And somewhere along the way, if you'll be faithful with few things, God said, I'll make you ruler over many. Hallelujah. Let me give you the last thing and I'll be winding down here today. The last thing I want to tell you today is don't allow changing times to convince you that God's promises are not available to your generation. Don't allow changing times and changing perspectives and changing attitudes don't allow a new generation to convince you that God's promises are no longer available today. Zalafa had the father, was present in one generation, but he was absent in another. He was there in the preceding generation. He was missing in the succeeding generation. And yet this fact did not diminish the desire of his offspring. These daughters were convinced we can have everything that belonged to our father. Years, years later, you can find in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter number 17, years after they had made the initial request to Moses, when God was given victory to Israel, they were taken one city after another, one city after another, the walls of Jericho fell down. Joshua was, was going from victory to victory. And different tribes, they were gaining their own inheritance and their own piece of property. Here came the daughters of Zelophehad after all these years. And they approached Joshua just as they had approached uh, Moses in time Past In Joshua chapter 17 and verse number 3, they came before Joshua. They came before Eleazar in verse number 4. This is what they said. The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. They said, you know, a lot of years have gone by. What God promised in the last generation, 
we want to get a hold of in this generation. What we got a vision of in the last generation, we want it to become a reality in today's generation. I know times change. And I know new generations come with new ideas and new concepts. But I want to tell you, the Word of God is going to stand forever. And God is looking for a new generation that will rise up and say, times may be changing, but the promises still remain. The blessings of God still remain. And the preceding generation, maybe they didn't get everything that God promised them. But maybe this is the generation that's going to come into our own. Maybe this is the generation that has the kind of revival we preached about, that we sung about, that we believe God for. Maybe this This is the generation that lays hold on what our fathers told us was available. Even though it had been a while since they had first requested, they believed it was still available. Even though the Moses generation had passed and the Joshua generation was now on the scene, their inheritance, they believed, was still just as available as when they had first made the request and when they had first lifted up their voice and when they had first asked Moses if it was possible. Oh, I just came to encourage Landmark this morning. Revival is still available. The miraculous is still available. A supernatural move of God is still available. The gifts of the Spirit are still available. Signs and wonders are still available. Deliverance from sin and oppression is still available. I want to be like Caleb of old. He was a man of tenacity and he was a man of determination. And he said, Joshua, way back there, I saw the mountain. And I told Moses, back when I was a young man, I want that mountain. I want to dwell on that mountain. I want to be a giant killer. And he said, 45 years have come and gone. And I'm 85 years old, but I'm just as strong today as I was back then. I've still got the desire that I had back Back then, I've still got the passion today that I had back then. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 45 years had passed by and Caleb still retained a fervent expectation. An entire generation removed from when he originally envisioned what was possible, but he kept a stubborn grip on hope. Somebody ought to have a stubborn grip on hope. Hallelujah. I know somebody said, God don't heal anymore, but I got a stubborn grip on hope. I know people walk out and I've had people walk out of my church and my ministry and accuse me unfairly but I'm going to tell you I'm not even thinking about them today I've got a stubborn grip on hope I've had people get 
bitter at me when I was just trying to help them. Amen. It can make you cynical if you're not careful. But I got a stubborn grip on hope. I've had so many letdowns and disappointments in the ministry even. But I've got a stubborn grip on hope today. I, I hear voices of doubt and unbelief all the time. But I've got a stubborn grip on hope. And I'm not going to let it go today. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on believing. And I'm going to keep on trusting in God. Because I've got a stubborn grip on hope. That says I can take this mountain. I, I can have my promised land. I, I can see my blessing. I, I can have what God said I could have. I can do what God said I could do. I can receive everything that God said I could receive. I, it's been a while. But I'm still saying Give me this mountain because I've got a stubborn grip on it today. Hallelujah. Remain standing with me. Stand with me. Amen. If you're going to have it, you've got to show you want it. If you're going to possess it, you've got to show a desire for it today. I want to show God that I really do want it. You, you can have it if you want it. Hallelujah. You just have to express a desire for it. You can't allow the passing of time. You can't allow the passing of time to cause your passion to wane. You can't let the, 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 the dissipation of your human strength convince you that God's promises are no longer achievable. All you have to do is reach. All you have to do is try. All you have to do is show God that you've still got your desire. Five daughters of Zelophehad ended up with their own possession in Canaan simply because they had the courage to step up and lift their voices and say, we want what belonged to our Father. We want our own place in Canaan land. Give us what belongs to us. I think sometimes we let the devil rob us of what rightfully belongs to us. There was a there was a young man out in his front yard, kind of a small neighborhood years ago, 15 or 16 years old. His mother was out on the front porch just drinking a cup of coffee or something, just watching the kids play. Next door, next door to them was a, a lady. She was standing over talking to the neighbor on the other side. It was a little small waiting pool in her front yard. She had a little 15-month-old child. While she's standing over there distracted and talking... She's talking with the neighbor. The mother of the 15-year-old boy, 16 years old, just, just a teenager. She looks to see the, the, the toddler, the 15-month-old toddler, go head first into the little pool, submerged head first. And she sat up and she told her son, Son, go get the baby. He runs over. By this time, the, the child is not coming up out of the wading pool. It's head first. No doubt it's taking on water. 
but it hasn't, its head has not emerged from, from under the surface. And she said, son, go get the baby. The teenager ran over and grabbed the child. And upon grabbing the child out of the water, the child began to scream desperation, having come so close to losing its life and desperate for air, began to scream and wail and and kick and thrash around. That's when the mama turned around and she saw the teenager picking up her child that was screaming at the top of its lungs. And she turned around and said, Get your hands off my baby. Leave my baby alone. And he's surprised. He just saved the baby from losing its life. He just rescued the most precious thing to this woman. And now she's coming toward him with anger in her voice. And with with wrath toward him. And he said, should I have let the baby drown? See, she didn't understand what was going on. And sometimes, if we're not careful, go to church, we do the best we can. Somebody talks about you, somebody criticizes you. And you think, I'm just going to forget all of this. That's what I get. Did my best, worked hard. Give it everything I've got. I'll just let the baby drown next time. Oh, no. Incurring the momentary wrath of a mother that didn't understand was worth reaching down and pulling up that toddler out of the water and saving its life. It's still worth it. Going through criticism, it's still worth it doing everything you can to live for God. Somebody misjudging your motives. It's still worth it. Do everything you can to live for God. Somebody makes it plain they don't like you, don't appreciate what you did. It's still worth it to walk in, go to church with them, love them, shake their hand. Brother or sister, I love you. It's still worth it. You Don't let their criticism cause you to let the baby drown. Don't let things make you better. God's got an inheritance for you. Don't let your desire for it be taken away from you. Don't let someone else's opinion and attitude get in the way of what God has for you. Keep on reaching for it. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your hope. Get your excitement for God back. And say, I'm not going to be distracted by all the little peripheral issues. I'm going to do the will of God. My worship's not going to drown. My love for God's not going to drown. My willingness to help around the church and work for God, it's not going to drown. Criticize if you will, but we're going to save the baby because God's going to give revival and God's going to send a blessing and God's going to send miracles and God's going to give us unity in spite of it all. We can't let the baby drown. I wonder if you'd gather around the front with me today. And I know it's getting late and the preacher's probably preached a long time today. 
But I wonder if just for a few minutes, just a few moments, you'd gather around the front with me and show God for just a few moments, God, I've still got a desire. In spite of all that I've been through, God, I've still got a desire to do something for you. I've still got a desire to receive everything you have for me. In spite of the worst attacks that the enemy could bring against me, I've still got my faith in you. In spite of the assaults that the enemy has brought against my family and against my children, against my marriage, against every part of my life, God, I've still got my faith in you. And I know if I survived the last one, I know you're going to help me through this one. If I made it through and I didn't have a nervous breakdown and I I didn't quit and I didn't backslide and I didn't throw in the towel, God, I know you're going to help me through this valley. And I know you're going to see me through this one. And I know you're going to make a way. Even when I don't see a way, I know you're going to make a way. Why don't we stretch out our hands toward Him? Why don't we tell Him our faith is in Him once again? Let's lift up our voices. God, I've still got my desire. I've still got my love for You. I've still got my passion for you Lord hallelujah 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 why don't you let the Lord renew you today why don't you let the Lord stir you today why don't you let the Lord strengthen you today as they sing something